0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that your arm is never too short to save and that you've given us brothers and sisters uh, in our lives. And Lord, this morning we do pray that you would help us to encourage one another on and that we might uh, be able to better articulate and share uh, the message of saving grace in your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Okay. Kathy Anderson, I'm relying on you this morning. Okay. Who wants to say something? Who wants to ask uh, a question? Dr. Hull. Uh, Just one. This actually... uh refers back to one of uh, Matt's session in here where he said, and this is a quick, easy question. It's, he said part of the scripture was and the spirit blows where it, w- where it will. Mm-hmm. And would you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, the this, this spirit uh, blows where it will. I'll repeat the question. Uh, so the question was looking at, last week we looked at John chapter 3 and Nicodemus and Jesus saying to Nicodemus that the spirit blows uh, where it, or, or he, wills it to blow. So um, I guess what you're asking, uh, Leland, is how do, you, how do you discern that and, and how, how are you able to give an individual or a situation over to God knowing that you've been faithful and basically done what you feel like you can do and now it's an issue of you've sown the seeds and you're waiting for the spirit to water it unto fruition. Is that the question? That's good. Well, in your line of work, what I would uh, do is I would put them in a dentist chair and medicate them. <laughs> yeah, strong meds, to get the mask out. Okay, all right. Well, I think that that, you know, that, that, that really has been something that I hope that I've hammered away at uh, this semester uh, about understanding... Uh, that it really is up to God to convert people. So when someone says, I was converted by Billy Graham, there's no doubt that God used Billy Graham to convert individuals or whoever it might be. But ultimately, the conversion is, is God's. Whether Paul sowed and Apollos uh, watered and whoever reaped it, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I do think that there is uh, still an insistence on Christians to share the gospel. And sometimes that's sort of a passive thing. So one of the passages I would look at is Acts chapter 16. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it. Um, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in the Philippian jail. And the prisoners were listening to them. And the jailer called for light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So there was no intentional outreach from Paul and Silas toward this Philippian jailer. How did the Philippian jailer hear the gospel? What does it say? What were Paul and Silas doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, Luke tells us that the prisoners were listening to them, but who else was listening? The jailer, right? The jailer was listening in. And so there wasn't any intentional witness to the jailer. It wasn't like Paul and Silas got together and said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to have this all-night hymn sing, <laughs> which converts no one uh, except the Philippian jailer as far as I know. Uh, but, but we're going to have this all-night hymn sing, and, and then uh, we're going to call the question, In this instance, it's one of those situations where someone who's just casually listening in, that's who God intervenes and brings to faith. Now, interestingly enough, he cries, he calls, uh, he asks them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I think that the bigger uh, question for us is, uh, uh, the bigger question for us is, are we prepared to answer that question? Like, what if, what if you're sitting on an airplane, which is, you know, one of the few places where you're still captive and can't get away, and you're sitting on an airplane and someone says to you, Hey, you know, I, I've been reading this book, whatever that book is, More Than a Carpenter by uh, Josh McDowell or, or any sort of Christian book or a Tim Keller book that tries to press home the question. And, uh, and they say, uh, and I really want to be a Christian, but I'm not exactly sure how. So we're not talking about a difficult case uh, we're talking about God sort of teeing it up nicely for you. Uh, but the question is, do you, now ha- now, do you know how to hit it down the middle of the fairway? Do you know what to say? And before you think, well, I didn't go to seminary or I don't have all of that, uh, listen to what uh, the answer is. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I mean, it's not a treatise, is it? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, of course, Paul and Silas end up going home with the Philippian jailer and ministering to the family and baptizing the household and, and ministering to them and probably uh, talking about the gospel. Uh, but how many of us, when we first came to faith, could clearly express the totality of Christianity? Uh, very few of us, probably, uh, but here, what we have is a situation in which God has clearly moved. And I think that the bigger issue for us, because the people that we tend to interact with in our lives are people who have heard the gospel their entire lives. And finally, it comes home to roost. And the question is are we prepared to witness to them in that moment? I mean, this is very much like um, earlier on in Acts with um, the. Uh, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch, uh, if you remember that that scene. Um, it's Acts... I think it's, are we in Acts 7? No, help me out here. Who, where's the Ethiopian eunuch? There it is, Acts 8, sorry. So when Philip... Um, um, Philip goes down, and he's ta- the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah while he's in the chariot. And the chariot's not moving at a rapid pace, otherwise the horse wouldn't make it back to Ethiopia, but just kind of moving at a, at a casual pace, and Philip's running up alongside of it, and, uh, and Philip says this. Well, first of all, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So actually, are, we, are our ears attuned to where the Spirit is blowing? That's part of the problem, and it's a really long answer, but it's a good conversation. This is really the, the issue that Jesus is trying to pull out in, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is are you in sync with the Spirit of God? Are you listening for Him? Or are you responding to Him uh, when He prompts you? I mean, moment of confession. How many times have you been in a situation, uh, and more often than not, it's one of those situations where you're in a deep moment with a friend and they've just said something and you feel this overwhelming burden to pray for them, but you just don't pull the trigger. And you walk away thinking, why didn't I pray for that person? Well, I would say that that was the Spirit of God prompting you to pray uh, for that person. And so, uh, Philip... Uh, is in tune with what the Lord is doing. He's able to discern where the Spirit is blowing. And I think that that's just the definition of a Christian. Uh, I think that Christians who have the Spirit dwelling within them have the ability to discern the Spirit's voice in their life. It's a given in the New Testament, actually, that the experience of a normal Christian is that God speaks in your life and through your life. If you're ever confused as to whether or not God may be speaking to you, then read your Bible, right? In the sense that, that if, if it may be something outlandish, uh, square it with God's word. And if it doesn't square with God's word, then it's probably the bad burrito you ate the night before, right? It's, it's not the spirit of God. And so, uh, and, and do you ever feel that where you, you've been in a situation where you're like, you know what, I need to call, I'm just going to call so-and-so. And you pick up the phone, and it really is a divine appointment. It's, and, and So there's something supernatural going on in the life of the believer that's prompting people that Nicodemus doesn't have because he doesn't have the spirit within him. And so if the spirit doesn't dwell within him, there's no way he can discern which way he's to go. He's fumbling around in the dark, and he's left to his own resources, which is just fumbling around in the dark. He's not able to advance. He's not able to discern what God is doing. And yet he's a teacher of Israel. So with Philip... The Spirit says, go over to that chariot. And there's this eunuch who was an official with Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge. He was the, basically in charge of the treasury. And as he was returning, he was reading uh, from Isaiah the prophet. And uh, Philip begins the conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, if you're a Christian, you should be able to unpack this. Who's Isaiah talking about? Who's the sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears, and who opens not his mouth? Who was it that experienced humiliation, justice being denied? And whose life was taken away from the earth? Jesus. right, so it's Jesus. Uh, Philip doesn't say, well, that's really great. We should ask Siri. right, let's let's Google this. Uh, Let's, let's, you know, whatever it is. Paul, uh, Philip, I'm sorry, yes, Philip uh, says, uh, engages him in uh, conversation, and the unit comes back at him. About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else and then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus he met the eunuch where he was now of course with anybody that you're dealing with I think that yes obviously God speaks through his word but he also speaks through circumstance so think about it you've got an Ethiopian eunuch who has just come down from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. Now, there are some problems with this. What's the main problem? Right, he's a eunuch, he's not Jewish, and so he can't enter into the main temple court area. He's restricted in, in where he can go. And what's he doing in Jerusalem? We don't know. He's not there on business, though. Luke tells us that he was there to worship. And I think that there's a clue as to what this guy was struggling with because he's coming back from Jerusalem. He's reading the scroll, which means he has some wealth, and it's his. He's reading it. He probably bought it while he was in Jerusalem. And he's having a hard time, and he's zoned in on this passage from Isaiah. And this is a God thing. God has laid on this eunuch's heart to look at this passage from Isaiah. And the eunuch asks Philip, who is this talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Eunuch from Ethiopia has gone up to Jerusalem to worship, is restricted in that activity, and on the way back, he's reading from the scriptures, and he's distressed. And in his question, reveals where he is spiritually. I went up to Jerusalem for an answer and didn't get one. And so now I'm reading from God's word. And here's this promise that speaks to my heart, but I'm not sure who it's talking about. Please tell me, is the prophet simply speaking of himself or is he talking about somebody else? Because that somebody else is who I want to hear about. And so Philip beginning with this scripture, begins to tell this eunuch about the Lord Jesus. So in witnessing, you see what God is able to do is not just to give you the right words to speak to the person who God has placed in your life, but this person is not some sort of spirit that's floating out there that you're simply speaking to in that capacity, but you're speaking to the whole person. And so I have no doubt that Philip discerned this, that's why Luke included it, and began to understand this is the the real question that the eunuch is, is asking. It's not an academic question of, is he talking about himself, Isaiah, or is he talking about someone else? I'm just curious. He's asking the question, is there anyone who can save me? Is there anyone who can meet me at my spiritual point of need? So you see what's happening here, that, that God is speaking through his word, and he's also speaking through the circumstance. And so when we're with somebody, I hope that we spend most of our time listening and praying for what really is going on in the life of the individual. And so I do think that certain evangelistic information like um, uh, the spiritual laws or the Romans Road. I think that those are helpful, uh, but you have to be really careful to not quench the spirit and to actually listen to what the person is saying, because you may be trying to answer questions that they're not even asking. But just tr- so trusting the spirit in that. That's a very long answer to your, your question. Who wants to try that again? Uh, anything else? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the question is um, there's, there's a, there are extremes uh, within uh, this debate and I would say that the extreme extremes have probably gone outside the boundary lines that, that scripture talks about. Well, on one hand you have people that say well God has already made up his mind as to who gets saved and so it really doesn't, doesn't matter if we We evangelize. Um, That's actually fatalism. It's not a theological conviction. And then our Christian conviction. On the other side of the spectrum, which is actually just the opposite side of the same coin, is that everybody's saved. And so it really doesn't matter whether you tell anybody or not. Is that fair, Matthew, what you're asking? Yeah. So where do we find ourselves and how does that shape how we uh, evangelize people, well I think on the one hand, talking having a high view of God 's sovereignty, understanding that God it's God that 's going to work the person out spiritually. So if you take it upon yourself, like there, was a, there was a woman who's, who's now dead and ended up being one of the dearest uh, people to me here at the Advent. And when I first came, uh, she came up to me. Uh, I, by the way, I've looked the same way I've looked since the sixth grade which is awesome now, but really bad in sixth grade. I was, you know, some, somebody on a flight, I was 14 years old and bought me a beer, uh, thinking that I was, I was 21. Um, but um, th- she came up to me and she said, I'm going to make you my project. Nobody wants to be anybody's project, right? Nobody. And, and I think that sometimes people try to do that with other people spiritually, like... I'm going, I think it's, it's great to have a person to be an object of focus, an object of care, an object of, of evangelism, as long as you don't objectify them. And a lot of times people will, will try to minister to other people in that way simply to make themselves feel better uh, rather than actually caring about the individual. So with the idea of God's sovereignty being involved, you understand that it's your job just simply to be faithful and to witness to that person. And if you're in relationship with them... Um, there are times where I think you probably need to make the hard sell and call the question and say, look, where do you stand with Jesus? And I, I run into clergy all the time who are incapable of asking that question. And, and I kind of laugh about it, and, and they say, well, I just don't feel comfortable asking the question. I said, they said, I'm afraid of what, how people will, respo- will react. And I said, well, in your line of work, they ought to expect it. Right? This, is, this is what you do uh, for a living, especially if it's somebody uh, that is, uh, is nearing death. That, that it's, it's your responsibility uh, as a pastor, and really as a Christian, to be able to call the question. And, and so there are times where you are going to say, look, where do you stand with Jesus? What's your, what's your understanding of him? Are you ready to die? Um, what does your life look like? Uh, apart from Jesus, and what does your life look like with Jesus, uh, but understanding that, yes, God is using you to do that work, but ultimately it's him doing it, but he does use us. This is Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians uh, um, about being, um, our, uh, well, he's writing to the Corinthians, I think it's se- Jars of Clay, 2 Corinthians, where he is talking about that we have this treasure within us, uh, that is not from God. And when he calls us jars of clay, what he's saying is, look, we're all cracked pots. We're all cracked pots. And yet God uses us to do uh, his, his will. So I don't think biblically you can say on one hand, well, everybody's just going to get into heaven. Like there's just no biblical evidence uh, for that. And uh, although it's something that's worth hoping for, I mean, wouldn't that be really, really wonderful? But what that would actually do is it would deny God's setting the world to right, right? It, 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 there is, in the final analysis, there is judgment, which is actually what we want, because we want the things that are wrong set to right. We want the things that are broken down uh, made well. And normally if somebody says, well, I think that everybody's going to get saved, usually you can uh, turn that on them pretty quickly when you, you know, the, the easiest one is you can say, well, what about Hitler? Do they get in? What about your ninth grade algebra teacher? Do they get in? All right. Um, um, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, not your ninth grade algebra teacher. She no battle axe. Anyway, um, but uh, but at the same time, understand God's grace is big enough to even save the vilest of us all. So I don't think that it's necessarily seeing it as a balance, but trying to see it biblically, that on the one hand, yes, God is sovereign in saving us, but he also uses us in order to see that people come to salvation. And, and there's no, uh, no way around that, that, that God's sovereignty is upheld in the Bible as well as human responsibility. In fact, the articles of religion are really good about this because there's an article on predestination. And the article says look, predestination is a biblical doctrine, the Bible teaches it. However, you should never, ever preach on it because it will drive people to despair. And so, places that really hammer away at that doctrine um, leave people in the pews asking, Well, am I a Christian? I don't feel like one, I don't look like one. But and if and if I'm not a Christian, then then what's the point of all this? I'll just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. Uh, I I die. And so if if you are witnessing to someone who's a non-believer, uh, I would probably steer clear of the universalist thing, and I would steer clear of the of the election thing, and really just say, forget that stuff. What do you think? Where do you stand? I want to hear from you personally. I want to hear what your heart is saying uh in in this moment uh because ultimately you're gonna be the one that's called you, the person you're speaking to, is gonna be called to account. Um and and I find that most people in witnessing, they may talk about that stuff. You know, they might say something like, Well, I just can't believe in a God who would send anybody to hell. And they begin to talk about this God and it's remarkable how much they look like the person, this God, uh, and how God agrees with everything that they say. Um, but once you start to peel that stuff back, what I find is that that stuff is just window dressing, that there are real. Again, it's the Ethiopian eunuch. What's the real issue here? What are you really struggling with? It's not an issue of biblical interpretation per se. It's, it's an intensely personal issue of how can I be saved, and that's where you go. And it's, it's too, So if you've got a friend who just wants to engage in crazy theological conversation, every time you get around them, they, they say, well, I want to talk about some sort of theological out there issue. I think it's fine just to talk about casually, uh, but I would try to get down to the heart of the matter and to say, what's really bothering you about this? So I had a guy one time uh, come into my office and say, you know, I can't believe in a God who would perpetuate... Canaanite genocide. And, uh, and he and I met a couple times, and by the end of the conversations, we went from Canaanite genocide to my father never said he loved me when I was growing up. And so Freud's not far off about transference uh, in, in those situations. And so you see, that was just a, a smokescreen for the deeper issue of of actually he had transferred his ideas of his dad onto God, who was unloving and judgmental. But the real issue was his dad, not the Canaanite genocide. Yeah, sorry.
0: Paul says that uh, how can we believe without hearing? Right. How can we hear without a preacher or a proclaimer? We're commanded to share the gospel.
1: Yeah, Ken, I think that's a really good point. Uh, the Christ- Christianity is an, is an audible faith. It's not a visual faith, um, which, which is hard for us as, as sinful human beings. Um, so Paul, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this at length before, but in order for someone to become a Christian, there has to be some kind of revelation to them outside of themselves in word form. So even the miraculous stories, which I believe, of people say in Asia, you hear these things about, one, uh, in one instance, there was a man who, uh, who was in the village uh, somewhere in, I think it was Mongolia, and a missionary came and began to preach, and the man ran up to the missionary and said, the man you're preaching about is the one that comes to my dreams. Did you catch that? Uh, the man that you've been preaching about, uh, sorry, the sound went out. The man you've been preaching about is the man that comes to me in my dreams. But it wasn't until he heard the preacher that he was able to say, oh goodness, that's Jesus. He he didn't come to it uh, uh, himself. And and, and so Paul is absolutely right uh, that there has to be some sort of uh, outside revelation that is brought to us uh, through the Word uh, to uh, the individual. We don't come to this... Place of understanding who Jesus is naturally. That's the whole conversation with Nicodemus. The natural-born person can't can't understand this, uh, and so um, that's why uh, you know there's still kind of a debate raging in the church today. What should your Sunday services look like? Now, I, I do think that it's it's nice to have pretty lovely things like stained glass windows and and, and things like that, um, but actually they're biblically deficient. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying that they're not enough to tell the story. And in fact, I mean, probably the most um, uh, amazing witness to this is that the transfiguration of Jesus, where J- Jesus' garments have been transfigured, radiant. He's, he's, he's in his heavenly glory, and he radiates, and the voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, and what does the Father finish with? Listen to him, which seems crazy. Listen, no, look at him. This is amazing. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But God the Father says, don't look at him. Listen to him. And of course, this is what Paul talks about at length, about, um, about not just uh, uh, about the, Jesus talking about those who hear my word and do it. Uh, So hearing is absolutely essential. So if you want a prayer point, pray that God gives people spiritual ears to hear. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Don. Well, just as uh,
0: by way of experience, a a word of encouragement, um, I don't get into very many conversations in my daily life where people ask me, Don, uh, explain to me in depth what you believe and why you believe it. But we do care about the people we come into contact with. And I heard it said a long time ago, and i found this to be true, that if you're looking for commonality with everybody who's ever drawn breath uh, across all time and across all uh, cultures, uh, there are three questions that have to be answered. If they stop and think, if we will stop and think. Number one, where did I come from? Number two, what am I supposed to do with the 73 and a half or 94 and a half years that I have? And number three, what happens to me when I die? Hmm. Everybody cares about that and has thought about that. And each one of us can speak to them within the context of our own understanding of our faith and how that impacts that. And so, you know, this is the way things happen. I'm not a huge Jackson Brown fan, but Jackson Brown was on the radio this morning when I was driving in. And listen to what ja- – I don't know what Jackson Brown's faith is, but listen to this. I've never – No, I've never heard heard this before, this song before. It's called uh, For a Dancer. It may be a really famous Jackson Brown song. Listen to this lyric. I don't know what happens when people die. Can't seem to grasp it as hard as I try. It's like a song I can hear playing right in my ear that I can't sing, but I can't help listening. And I can't help feeling stupid, standing around crying as they ease you down. Jackson Brown. Asking one of the three great questions: What happens to me when I die? I don't know the answer, but I can't help listening. Yeah. So you know.
1: So that's that's good. Uh, Where did I come from? What is my life about? What what am I? What am I here for? And what happens when I die? And um, and I mean the 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 sad part about it is is that. um, In many instances I've experienced, but thankfully not not always. uh, But those who wait. for the 11th hour, die at the 10th. Um, and, and for some reason, we, we sort of wait and say this is a question for later on. Uh, but it's, it's a question uh, that, that, that actually is a daily question, daily questions uh, to ask. That's really good, Don. Well, we're at the end of our time. Um, uh, for those of you at the nine, uh, I'll make this announcement again. I'm gonna take some time off uh, in, in January And uh, part of that time, several days, is going to be set aside exclusively to pray for the Advent. And uh, what I'd love for you to do is to email me your prayer requests. completely confidential. Uh, but I, I, you know, if there is somebody that you're, you're speaking with or someone that you're concerned about, especially where they stand, uh, spiritually, or if you just have a Thanksgiving for how God has, uh, worked, uh, in your life this year, I've had a terrible year. I don't know about you, uh, but I've had a pretty rotten year and, uh, and that's part of the thing that's driving me into the wilderness. Um, to go and, and pray, uh, but also the burden that I have for you and really wanting to go before the throne of grace for you. So if you have things that you'd like for me to be praying about, um, multiple things, it doesn't have to be just one, uh, but please do email me, and uh, and that way I can be praying for you, and um, and I'll, I'll do it. Uh, so so there you have it. Um, all right. Yes? How to... Uh, how to how do you pray for me? Well, I'll tell you the way that God works in my life um, is that right before something really awful is about to fall into my lap, God does something worse before that happens, so when the awful thing falls into my lap, it doesn't seem so bad. Uh, so they continue to pray that God would give me perspective, I and mean, we just... We, I mean, this is what Luther talks about. We get so turned in on ourselves that we actually can't see what God is doing in our lives. And we're completely subjective. Uh, so I, I think that having perspective, uh, being able to count it all joy, uh, I really don't get, I get overburdened. Uh, but I don't really get downcast. But, but where I really need help is, is God lift my eyes to see you and what you're doing uh, in my life and in this place. Um, that I think that, that, you know, funny enough, that that's probably, and that's a day in, day out thing. It's, it's not, I know it's hard for you to think of me separately from ministry because I'm probably like the teacher that you would run into in public when you were a kid and you were surprised that they didn't live at the school. Um, you probably think of me that way. Uh, but, but so it's not just ministry, it's, 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 It's everything. Thanks for asking. Let's have a word of prayer before we leave. Uh, Lord, as we head uh, into Christmas just a couple days away, uh, we thank you. Uh, Lord, Christmas can be so hard, and in the hectic uh, chaos uh, that we experience around Christmas, we lose sight uh, of the real reason behind it, and Lord, uh, that we would uh, stake our lives on it uh, that we would find uh, in the midst of darkness the joy uh, that has come into this world in a manger in Bethlehem. Lord, that although it happened 2,000 years, uh, 2, years ago, it's just as real today. And so let us, uh, like the shepherds, go and see this thing which the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.